If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give away my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you, Joan. Uh, Sorry, I forgot to say the reading is on your leaflet that you got on the way in. um, And that gives you an outline of where we're going for this talk as well. Well, we're doing this series, Summer of Love. But what is love? Or love, as you call it. Love, as is in the original Mancunian. How do you define love? How do you recognize it? It feels like 90% of songs that we listen to are about love. So I did a search on Spotify. I just typed in love is, and this is what I got back. Love is all around. Love is in the air. Love is a battlefield. Where is the love? And it turns out I'm not the only one asking the question. A foreigner in the 80s asked, I want to know what love is. Bob Marley Is this love? I did find some good advice, though, on Spotify. Toto warned, love isn't always on time. You can't hurry, love. You give love a bad name. I'm saving all my love for you. There's a bazillion ideas out there about loving songs, isn't there? 
And that's even before you start looking at books or film or television. And that's before you even ask your friends or family about their experiences of love. But if we went knocking on doors right now and asked people, do you want your life to be all about love? Well, first of all, they say, get lost, it's New Year's Day. But then I think everyone is intuitively pro-love, aren't we? We'd, we'd all say love is a good thing. We'd all say we'd like more love in our lives. So I thought a great way to start the year was to have a good look at what the Bible has to say about love. Because if the Bible is what it claims to be, God's words to us so that we can know him and love him, and if what the Bible says is true, that God is love, that he invented love and commands us to love, well, then this Bible has to be the right place to start, doesn't it? But where in the Bible to start? Well, today's passage talks a lot about love, doesn't it? Just some background. This church Paul had planted in Corinth had grown, and from the outside seemed pretty impressive. It was kind of like the, the cool, popular church plant down the road. And they were pretty pleased with themselves. But in reality, they were messed up. They had messed up relationships, messed up behavior, messed up beliefs. And most importantly, they were lacking love, specifically love for each other. So chapter 13 we're looking at today then is written to get Christians back on track, loving each other. A reminder that a key to Christians that a key mark of being a follower of Jesus is loving one another with the kind of other person-centered, undeserved, not earned love that God has first loved us with in Jesus. And if you're not a believer today or listening to this, I hope this high bar of love that we're called to points you to just how very loving God is and how very much he wants you to receive his love. So there are three headings on your outline. We'll get straight into it. First up, some simple maths. Anything minus love equals nothing. Anything minus love equals nothing. So at this time of year in January, lots of people go, let's call it church shopping, looking for a new church. You know, a new year, a new start. What would make a church really worth picking out of the crowd? Because in the context of the passages around this one we've read today, the question is, what makes for a truly spiritual, truly mature church? Is it the great music? I mean, Mark and Rod have done them as well today. Normally we have a big light show and smoke and um, a note for orchestra. Would it be a bunch of miracles, healings here? Words of knowledge mean supernaturally knowing stuff. Uh, are they signs of being more spiritual? What about, maybe it's not that, maybe it's really good Bible teaching, excellent exposition of the text, really, really sharp application that gets under your skin. Or maybe if we had a fantastic mission program or we're renowned for our social justice work, maybe those would make us really spiritual, really mature. The kind of church people should be looking for. But here's the thing. Look at verses 1 to 3 on your leaflet or on the screen. Paul doesn't just say that all those things are not quite as good if there's no love. He doesn't say they're tainted by not having love. He doesn't say the less than they are could, they could be without love. He says, without love, they are 
Nothing. Nothing. At best, as good as noise like the kids made before. So the true mark of spirituality is not any gift or talent, natural or supernatural. It's not, true spirituality is not marked out by the amount or the quality of our activities as a church. The mark of true spirituality is love. So let's have a close look at what love actually is. So our next heading, true love is foolishness. True love is foolishness. Have you been to an, a non-religious, non-Christian wedding recently? We've been to a few in Australia, some good friends, and they've had some lovely vows made, um, very similar to Christian ones. But often those non-religious services are remo- removing the traditional vows and giving artistic license to couples to come up with their own doesn't always produce the best results. So here are some genuine quotes from vows from real weddings. Using the word love to describe the boundless, unquenchable ardor I feel for you is an insult to the power of that emotion. Or how about this one? A wandering soul like mine can always count on you to provide solid ground, and I promise to always be the wind beneath your wings. Brings a tear to the eye, doesn't it? Or how about this one? I reckon a bloke wrote this one. To make us a stronger unit, I pledge to motivate and encourage you to develop personally. Basically saying you're not good enough yet, isn't it? I think. Anyway, the thing is, you very likely heard 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at weddings. And you can see why, can't you? You know, the, the words, uh, verses 4 to 8, paint a beautiful picture of what a love in action looks like, don't they? But the danger is, if we read them through that sort of saccharine, smoochy, romantic lens of a wedding, they lose their impact. Because in fact, in context, what these words are, are a stinging rebuke. If you go back through 1 Corinthians, you'll find that this church have been impatient at the Lord's Supper. They've been jealous of one another's gifts. They've been arrogant in their self-assessment. They've been proud, even, a bloke is, even though a bloke is sleeping with his mother-in-law, which sounds like the worst mother-in-law joke ever. They've been self-seeking when it comes to food offered to idols. So Paul's words here are more of an end-of-year appraisal, and not a good one. Paul's actually sticking the boot, here, boot in here. But just look at the power of the words that God has given him. I'll read them again, and as you listen... Why not just in your head, weigh up your 2022 against these statements. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So Paul, rather than detailing all their failures again, he uses words that will at once convict them in their heart 
uh, of where they've gone wrong, yet at the same time encourage them by showing them what to inspire to instead. Now, my guess is uh, you could show these words to anyone, and no one, believer or unbeliever, would find anything particularly to argue with in that list of loving action. We'd all love to be like this, wouldn't we? But my guess is also that all of us, even just looking at 2022 alone, are painfully aware of all the ways we have not loved like this. But the good news is that true love has been defined for us earlier on in 1 Corinthians. True love is defined as foolishness. So from chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. A bit later on. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. God has shown us what love is. God has sent Jesus to die in our place, to take the punishment we justly deserve on himself, so that we can enjoy loving relationship with God forever. Uh, love is God not only doing that, but doing that when we didn't deserve it, when we're still doing our best to reject him, despite him only ever wanting what's best for us. So that forgiveness that we enjoy, that we know right now, the lengths God went to to win it, humanly speaking, doesn't make sense. It seems foolish. But once you do know Jesus, once you do throw your lot in with him, once you know his forgiveness for all your failures to love, like, like he's listed in 1 Corinthians 13, once you know that forgiveness, well, that means the very essence of who you are is now recast, remolded, redefined by this other person-centered, self-sacrificial love. So trusting Jesus with your life, being truly spiritual, being mature, naturally then means living life with that kind of love, the kind of love that we've been shown. So the good news of Christ crucified, the gospel, doesn't only teach us we're saved, it also teaches us to live a life of love as he first loved us. Now, that's the kind of love we need in church, isn't it? That other person-centered, self-sacrificial love. People often ask me, how's church going? And how do you answer that? I mean, we could fill these 350 seats, but if we didn't have love, it would all mean nothing. So I guess, how is church going? The question to ask is, are we loving one another? No, I don't think we're perfect. I know I'm not. I'm sure there's lots of areas we could grow. But by God's grace, this is a loving community. And I thank God for you. Love will always trump any gifts, any activity, any program, any coolness or cleverness that we might come up with. 
Why? Because it's an everlasting love. Our final heading. So I can't look at verses 8 to 12 properly, but to summarize, everything else is going to pass away. So important and needed as our gifts and our efforts and all the things we do in the here and now are, they won't last forever. And we won't need all the things that help us to serve one another in heaven. But the thing that is permanent, the thing that will remain, the thing that underpins everything that we're up to now, what it's really all about is love. If we forget to love one another, we've entirely missed the point. Without love, the Christian life becomes like a toy in a collector's glass cabinet, all shiny and neat, but its reason for being completely missed. And verse 11 there, the way for us to grow as a church and as individual Christians is to grow up in our loving one another. To grow up in our loving one another. So how do we do that? Well, I know lots of you have appreciated the practical loving care that comes with that love in the last year. I know I've experienced your love as you bear with me and forgive me. I know I've experienced in the past tough love where people from a good heart of wanting to help have gently but firmly pointed out to me where I'm going wrong. And there's a good summary of how to love in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. Knowledge puffs up whilst love builds up. Love builds up. So let's make that our goal in 2023. To build one another up in love for God's glory. And that's going to mean being there for one another. It's going to mean befriending one another, investing in one another. It's going to mean opening yourself up and being vulnerable to one another. Forgiving each other when we get it wrong. And it's going to take time, time given over to one another. To finish, so verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Because love frees me from just being self-interested. It makes me other person-centered, just like God is. Love is what God has done for us in sending Jesus to die in our place so that we can know God's perfect love forever. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the love you've shown us in Jesus, that self-sacrificial, other person-centered that seems foolishness in human, the human way of thinking of things. Thank you for the forgiveness and grace you've shown us that we can know we're forgiven this morning, right now. Thank you for your grace to us. And please help us as we plan, as we pour our energy into things, to never stop loving, to never lose sight of love. 
and do all these things out of love for your glory. Amen.